Rest in peace, Dave Bear. Every time I saw you, you had a big smile. Support for Talking Schmidt is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, kids. It's the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. We're going to give you 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code shout out at manscape.com. Just type in the code shout out and the rest is smooth sailing. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I'll tell you this, I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. That's right, kids. Advanced skin safe technology. Now you can feel confident shaving those family jewels. Did I mention wireless charging? Men, if you've been shaving with the same nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it wrong. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SHOUT OUT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code SHOUT OUT. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.
Hello, everybody. Today, we are bringing you a bucket list guest for us here at the show and hopefully for you as well. Today's episode is audio only, and I think that's a good thing to help you focus on the words that are said. I'm very honored to bring you the legendary Skip Ingblom and his stories from the Z-Boys and Craig Stesick to Santa Monica Airlines and meeting Nadis Coppice, driving up to San Francisco for his first time, going out to Thrasher at the shipyards, meeting Fausto and the Thrasher crew, his relationships with Mofo, Jesse Martinez, Jason Jesse, Jay Adams, and Stacy Peralta, just to name a few. What it was like having Heath Ledger portray him in the Z-Boys movie, and much, much more. Very stoked on this one, and very thankful to Skip for giving me some of his time. A few things before we get into the interview, though. One, that opening track that started today's show was I Don't Care by the new band 3 Milliseconds. The band consists of Denmark Kevin on bass, Melvin and Imaginary Friends on guitar, Papa Paybitch, California Mike on drums, and last year's Modi, the mother of the year, that's right, Manic Lisa Paybitch on vocals. Look for their music on Reverb Nation and a limited run of CDs out on the World Wide Web. Who knows, they may even open the Sodi party in December. Also, we have another giveaway for you, but first... We have a winner. Winner.com. This week's winner is from the Walker Ryan contest. We had a few weeks back with the exercise roller kit along with his new paperback book, Top of Mason. Thank you all for participating. And the winner is... Thomas Villa of San Antonio, Texas. Congratulations, Thomas, and be sure to send me a photo when you get your winning so I can post up on our socials. Okay, now for the giveaway. This week's giveaway is from the good people at Apex Recovery. They're giving away one of these massage guns, and man... I've been using mine nonstop. Sometimes I fully charge mine and then just use it until the charge dies. It's a rad device. And if you're going to get one and you're a skater, why not get it from a company that backs skaters? These guys have Jimmy Cow on their team. Is that, is that real? Anyway, we're going to make it pretty simple for you guys because I know sometimes it's really difficult. But all you have to do is go to the Apex Recovery Instagram page. All right. That is Apex Recovery Tech. A-P-E-X Recovery T-E-C-H. Go to their Instagram page, and if you're not already following them, follow them. Hit follow. Take a screen grab to prove that you're following them on the Instagram and then email that to talkinschmidt at gmail.com and you'll instantly be included in our drawing. We're giving away a free Apex Recovery massage gun. I repeat, therapeutic massage gun. These things are badass. 
And I mean, they're over a hundred dollars easily for sure. So get to it. Oh, and now a word from our new advertiser and supporter of the show. This is Blood Wizard. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. Hey, before I pass the mic, I have to acknowledge all the shops that are carrying my new run of soft goods, which currently can only be found at the following skate shops. That would be Deluxe SF, in San Francisco, California, obviously, Atlas in San Mateo, Skateworks in Los Altos, Society in San Carlos, that's the hometown of uh, your host here, me, Crown in Salinas, 510 in Berkeley, Kingpin in Stockton, big love for the 209, you all know that already. A uh, local skate shop in Santee, that's where uh, Archer Braun works. Slappy's Garage in San Diego, owned and operated by Jason Carney. Classic up in Reno, Nevada, Ignition Skate Shop in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We're in Holistic Skate Shop in West Reading, Pennsylvania. We got two new shops in Iowa, kids. Subsect in Des Moines and Nate Sherwood and his wife shops Eduscate out in Cedar Rapids. Shout out. Perma Vacation in Wilmington, North Carolina and our friends at Backdoor in Greenville, North Carolina. Solstice continues its support out in New Bedford, Mass. And Filter keeps the love strong in Albuquerque, New Mexico. In Tucson, Arizona, it's Aaron Susky's local shop, Mortal. And I am super stoked to say we are now in Montana. (laughs) Boards of Missoula got you covered out there in Missoula, Montana. So get in there and get that Schmidt. Fucking so hyped. It's one of my favorite states. Whitefish, Montana, possibly, mm, I'm just going to say top three skate parks I've been to. Anyhow, thanks to all you shops and those that go into the shops and support them. It means so much. Cheers to all y'all. Shout out. Oh, and true or false, my people are talking to Canada's people, and we may have a distribution up there for all you hungry Canucks very soon. (laughs) So keep hitting up your shops up there for our stuff to get carried. That would be next level for us for sure. Thanks all y'all again for the support last but definitely not least let me tell you guys a little story okay i moved in with my fiance 10 days before the lockdown this is 100 percent true story no lies no fabrication we're just getting light at the end of the tunnel and we're what we decide Hey, let's get out there and shoot a photo of our engagement photo. And Cheryl had an amazing idea, which was 
she wanted to get on her roller skates and get me on a skateboard and we'll cruise down Market Street and have the ferry building in the background. And then, all of a sudden, there was a freak accident. The details can't be told. It's too long of a story. But let me just tell you, Cheryl broke her arm. And if you've ever seen the snake wrist, that's what we got. The girl's tough as nails, though. I can't believe how she's handled the whole thing. Even the doctors in the emergency room were like, girl, you can scream if you want to. And no, not her. She was just sitting there, teary-eyed a little bit at times, but held it all in and took it like a trooper. So I get to say my fiance is tough as shit. My future wife is awesome. And all cards, flowers, and everything you want to send, please do. Big shout out to the love of my life. Cheryl Amber Camisa will be okay. We just have to give her a little time, kids. Are you guys ready for this episode to kick in? Hopefully you're as eager to listen as I was to interview. So without further ado... Hey, this is Skip Emblemon. You're listening to Talking Shit. How's that? It's cool, like tonight is the night. Here we go again. Just give it the old cars turn, right now. Our big dog's in. Schmitty! 96 times, Schmitty. Thanks, Schmitty. We on? Schmitty? Talking Schmidt. That's called going to the hospital, bitch. I'd be shitting my pants. Man. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. It's right. about the one. The one. The one. Who is this guy who thinks he's tough shit? What's up? We're tastemakers. Come on, Schmitty, what the fuck? Let's hear it for Greg Smith. Check one, two, check one, two. We are doing it, kids. We got Skip Ingblum on the show today, keeping it triple O motherfucking J. Uh, I got two mics set up in my car. We're going old school style, no video. I got the Zoom H4n Pro connected to my iPhone on speakerphone. And we're going to just roll this shit, you know? Okay, let's roll. Let me talk about about gang All right. I'm going to give him a call. Hey, Smitty. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. What's going on? I just got this whole uh, gadgetry set up in my car so I can record it. We're we're doing this one old school style. Okay. That sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. How are you? I'm fine. It's like I'm I'm old, but I'm pretty healthy. Yeah, you're feeling good. Yeah, man. Like not bad. You know, I down in, I went down to Venice yesterday to take care of some stuff, and then went down to the, the warehouse that we have the fulfillment people in downtown Los Angeles um, to do some stuff. Just checking on. We got like a whole bunch of stuff coming out um, this next week. Nice. Um, shirts and, and uh, sweats and uh, decks, like three different three different decks coming out of the screener. Like they were just came finished yesterday, screened up. We screen everything. Oh, nice! You know everything made in America. Um, in fact, we just found this one. Like the fulfillment guy that I deal with, 
we found this new, um, was well, not a new company. Like all the t-shirts we sell are, are American made, right? Mm -hmm. But these guys are actually here in Los Angeles and these other guys, and they spin all, they spin all their own cotton and everything. They use like 50% like recycled cotton, 50% new cotton, and then they, they thread, they spin, spin all that stuff and they do all the cut and sew on the, on the t-shirts. Oh, okay. from like from spinning all the way to finish so the blanks are pretty interesting nice okay you know what i mean it's a little more expensive but um you know the quality is better the control over the cuts better the sewing's better so it's like you're gonna get a product that like will last you longer won't wear out um through continual washings and stuff you know what i'm saying yeah, like that's something I've been kind of researching recently for like the stuff we're making. It's kind of like uh, the difference between making a bunch of cheap stuff that you can like get out there versus making maybe less stuff but at a higher quality. We did this thing with Jesse Martinez and it took us literally like 18 months to get everything from the start to, to sales. Mm -hmm. So so that's a long time and most people don't want to even mess with that kind of stuff. The turnaround? Yeah. Like, they don't want... It's like, this because it, it doesn't seem like it's really worthwhile to do, but ultimately it is. Right. It, 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 um, it's just that you have to be able to have somebody invest the time into doing it, you understand? Exactly. Well, Guns N' Roses sang a song called Patience. Right. So anyway, that's what's that's what I'm kind of doing right now. Okay. For people that like don't know the history, could you tell a little bit about the beginning of the the company and like when it started and how? Yeah, fundamentally, it started in like 1978. Um, as a, what happened was is that this guy had a retail store on Ocean Park Boulevard. It was failing. And they brought me in, and I realized they just had nothing but junk merchandise, um, or unsellable. It wasn't junk; it just was not, you know, it wasn't a hot item merchandise, as was so to speak. Uh -huh. So, so I got rid of all that, and then I brought in, I brought in the Sims, and I brought in like um, some other some other companies at the time. And I wanted to get the Dogtown decks because they, they were making, you know, like I had started out Jim Muir and all those guys and the name, and the name Dogtown is the name that me and Craig Stessick invented, right? Uh-huh. You know, and then these guys, some guys took over this thing from Wes and Jim and they wouldn't sell me decks, you know, because they just wouldn't sell me decks to put in our store because we were like with them you know, five mile radius of them or something. Right? Uh, okay. And I thought, well, I mean, I've been making skateboards my whole life. I don't really need these guys. And I was with this kid at the time named Jim Schulte, who was a very gifted skater and uh, a good, and a good craftsman. And he and I came up with the, you know, this, this board. We started selling under the San Mike Airlines label. I came up with a name, and um, the idea for the graphic, and we went from there. Then, like in like approximately 
late 79 or something, the whole skateboard industry collapsed, right? Mm-hmm. And, that's the, and that's the starting point from whence Thrasher and everything comes into play. 1980, 81. Yeah, right. Okay. So, you know, we closed down, we closed down the, the little manufacturing place and um, I ended up with like, a, with all these uncut out debt blanks, went back into the surfboard situation, managing the natural progression factory in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I brought all the blanks with me over there. Right, this the three hundred uncut out blanks, and at the time we were making fin panels for surfboards for glass on fins. So I got a bandsaw. You know, like Rip City in Santa Monica was still active, which was like a retail store, and they were actually my first retail customer. Okay. Right, and, and I, back in nineteen seventy eight, which they're still in business too. So we've been doing business together for like 41 years oh damn right and because of and because of them being able to stay open if there was you know like i had the ability to be able to like sell a you know a few boards here and a few boards there every month but but i wasn't really doing that very much it was just just one and one you know one here one there so this guy Nathan Pratt had taken over my old retail store in Santa Monica, the Zephyr shop, and um, started his own company called Horizons West. And he put together a surf contest and called the Homeboy Series. And he asked me if I could make a couple of decks to give away as prizes. And I went, sure, you know, I made them, <laughs> gave, gave them to him, right? Didn't think anything of it. Uh-huh. And then... Um, I went on like I had, so I went, well, it seems like there's starting to be a little more interest in skateboards again. So I made, you know, about four, I think it's about 30 boards or something and decided I would just take a road trip up, up north, you know, to San Francisco or something. So I had, I, I know I wanted to go surfing. Basically I was taking a surfing trip and was going to sell skateboards okay. to, fund, to fund the trip north, right? Uh-huh. And um, so I I did and I, and I kind of stopped, found a couple of places along the way and they bought like one or two, some places to buy like one board or two boards or something, you know, just to have and paid, gave me enough money for gas money to keep going and hang out, right? Yep. And when I started talking to these kids that worked in these places, well, I got to San Francisco, you know, like I found this place, Skates on Hate, with this guy Lee Cole owned. And um, I had like, I think it was about like maybe 15 boards left or 20. I, know, like, I had about half of the stuff left that I had started with, right? Uh-huh. And... and um, the thing is, is like, I didn't drill blanks in those days because my, my whole thing was like, if you're a really good skater, you're just going to want to set the trucks up where you want them, not where I want them. Uh-huh. Right. And, um, I know it sounds really weird, but it's like, you know, the guys who were skating back then actually were really, they were still skating were actually really hardcore skaters. Uh-huh. And, and when I got to San Francisco, it's like, 
the only guys up there are really skating were these like hardcore punks, right? And they're skating down hills on Doc Martens and shit, and just you know, like it was just a whole different like vibe, right? Uh huh. So I'm this guy, this Glee Cole guy that like was giving me basically some like crap about like not like the board's not being drilled and all this stuff, and I'm telling him, hey, you know, like you you're really a skater you're just going to put set this up the way you want it and like you're basically i was trying to tell lee coley was a kook right yeah you know this one guy was working for lee cole went listen like lee you just should need to buy these boards right these are good boards and stuff and and we can figure out the drilling like you know what i mean yeah and so, and so lee you know as as normal, like trying to beat you down on a price and stuff. Okay. I mean, I ended, I ended up really lovingly, actually. You know, strangely enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was um, full bar. And, and he actually turned out to be like a good guy. You okay. know what I'm saying? I mean, he just was like he was just a you know different dude to deal with, right? Uh-huh. This guy goes. This guy who who helped broker this thing work really goes like, hey. um, do you know about the magazine? And I went, what magazine? He goes, there's this magazine over at Hunter's Point. Like, like, do you, do you want to go over and see this? And I went, I don't know shit about getting to Hunter's Point, right? So yeah. like, he goes, he goes, well, look, look, I'll, I'll take you over there. And I go, okay. He goes, well, realistically, I just don't want to ride the bus over there. So it's like, nope. like if you give me a ride over, it'd be great. I went, yeah. okay, fine. Right. So I go over there and, um, you know, with this guy, we, he shows me how I get there and stuff. And, and we go there and it's this naval base or something, which was kind of trippy, you know, like, hey, we're going out to this military facility and there's a skateboard magazine here, like, yeah, all right. you got to like, show like, your ID at the gate to get in and all that. Yeah, it was like a kind of strange, you know what I mean? Like, okay, fine, right? Yeah. So, so then I um, I go to this thing and I kind of walk in with this guy, and I guess like I just didn't look like I should, should look or something, you know what <laughs> I mean? I got a, I think a Hawaiian print shirt on or something, and maybe some surf trunks. Uh. All I need are some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine. And some tennis shoes or something, you know, like not obviously the visual that these guys want it, mm. right? And they're like fucking pretty attituded out, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. You dick! And so I was, I was trying to talk to him, and the guys, and these guys were basically trying to tell me to fuck off. Hasta la vista, baby! And I went, okay, fine, I don't really need this, you know what I mean? It's like, the guy who took me there was like looking like, man, I'm like I'm really sorry, you know. Like I'm, I'm going to school, and, and I just turn around and walking out, and I get halfway back, and all of a sudden I hear this guy screaming behind me, go, "Hey, hey, stop, man!" Like you know, whatever. And I turn around, it's Mofo, and I went, "Yeah, what do you want?" And he basically goes, "Listen, these guys don't even know how to clue who you are. Like, I want you to come back with me and come back in here and like apologize for your, you know, whatever reception you received." And I'm pretty much like, I'm like I don't want to do this, right? Uh-huh. But he. But he convinced me, I went, okay, fine, right? So I go back in there, and I meet these guys, and and and, um, and he's telling them, like, what my history is, right? Like, 
from the Zephyr's skate team and everything. And all of a sudden they're going, oh, wow, like, we're really sorry. You know, like, we have no idea. But uh-huh. it's no big deal, man. I just, you know, like, you just got, you know, whatever. And the odd thing was, is that, like, I kind of actually had met Fausto, like, years before that. At, went through this guy Terry Nails, who they were in the in the skate car at Signal Hill, oh, and yeah. Terry almost got killed. Right? Yep. Funky, those funky trucks they were making didn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So then I kind of vaguely knew him and stuff. And then so Mofa and I kept talking, and he went, "Well, what are you doing?" And I went, "Well, like." I'm just, you know, I'm kind of loose right now. I'm just going to, you know, head back maybe to, down to California, down to, you know, Southern California. He goes, well, he goes, like, like, do you, like, there's, you know, there's, there's some, something happening up there. Do you want to go get a drink and, and stuff? And I went, sure. So we go up and, and, um, there's some bar, I think it's called Figaro's or something. And, and, but it was right next to the store that I really wanted to go to that I had back when I was a merchant seaman. I used to go to called City Lights. It was a bookstore. Oh, and, yeah. I wanted, and I wanted to go into City Lights. And it just turned out this bar was directly next door. Mm. So, and well, if I was interested in books and my interest in the books, like, seemed to, like, collide, right? Like, we both were interested in literature. And so... Um, we went in there and strolled around and I bought a couple of books and I went next door and drank and stuff. And then he goes, well, there's this party down in Daly city. Do you want to go? And I went, sure. So I went down there at this party and stuff. And then like I came home the next, next day. Right. So then I call up there cause I want to see about like maybe taking out a small ad in the magazine. Right. Uh-huh. And, I, and I got Fausto on the phone. And he goes, look, he goes, we'll just give you some ads. I went, what do you mean? He goes, well, we're tr- we just need, we just need yeah. to fill these pages, right? Um, so that this like, this starts looking like a more legitimate pastime again. And we need to have a magazine that looks like it's got advertisers. Right. And I went, okay. So, and like, so then I called up, up of Stasek and and he had uh, turn already had contact with Fausto, right? So it was all you know, it's like sort of coming together. Now, what happened is is that you have to understand that like these guys, there were like five or six people trying to save the skateboard industry. It was like Fausto and Eric, right? Like George Powell, like Brad Dorfman, Larry Bama. Um, I'm missing somebody, and I don't mean to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was some, one other person, right? Like, like I'm, I'm just like kind of tripping on like trying to remember. I apologize for not remembering that, that fifth person. Was it not Novak? Yeah, Novak. Sorry, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> Rich Novak. Oh God, I mean, I, the phone's ringing <laughs> already. <laughs> he was like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, like Novak and I have a very kind of funny relationship. I mean, we like we we go back so far. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, like like so. I think I met Novak when I was like 14 or 15 or something. Oh, you know, like a long time ago. 
he uh, got around me on getting the road rider wheels back when I had the Zephyr shop, right? Uh-huh. And so he was able to, like, you know, secure those road rider wheel thing, right? But anyway, but no, that so those, all these guys got together and decided, like, hey, you know, this is, this is something viable here still, and, and we need to, to pull together and get this thing going, right? So they were all supporters of the magazine, you know what I mean? And Fausto had the foundry, and Novak and, and those guys developed the independent truck, right? Yep. So that, but it's like, so then they decided, look, we're going to do these contests, right? And we're not going to just try and do it in California, we're going to go to Kansas. We're going to go to these other places that, like, you wouldn't think anybody would go to, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to and, and we're going to try and grow this thing back up from the from the ground level. And so that's what was happening, right? In the meantime, like the magazine was like organically getting distributed out there like in, like you know you'd see people it was like i mean they were so shitty in the beginning quality wise yeah that, like like they were just basically but they were like it was how the same way how surfer magazine started like they made some but people handed them their friends to read Right. right. So like a like a one point with Surfer magazine, for every magazine they sold, like seven people read it. Right? Uh. and so that was the same with Thrasher. Like for every one of those shitty little things that they made, probably like five or six or eight people read it and they wanted it again, right? Like they wanted the the situation they wanted to see what was gonna come next. Uh, the, so, so the so the magazine was really kind of like the the linchpin, which was holding all these different people together. Like, if you look personality wise across the spectrum of those five people, there c- couldn't be five or six different people on the planet <laughs> that, that that for any other circumstances right. would probably never come together. I mean, I don't think these guys in some ways could ever agree on one coherent point, as, you know, based on how whatever they believed at the time, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. But, they, but they did believe in one thing, the one universal truth was that they believed in skateboarding. Right. right? And, you know, like, I believe in skateboarding because I've been, like, making these things and working on it since I was eight years old. Right, right, um, and I always loved loved them. You know, I mean, it was like between that and surfing, I was like I have I've had, managed to piece together entire existence. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, yeah, so like cool. I was, you know, like I was this guy that, like in school, they just thought it was either basically like going to end up in the gutter or in San Quentin or something. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know what I mean, right. <laughs> you know, like like I was like, it was like it was interesting that like skateboarding and surfing like these like two pastimes that seem like there are no hope pastimes ended up being the most hopeful existences you could have right and that in itself was a miracle but um 
you look at these people like and so then in the meantime i'm like back working on surfboards and this guy skates up to my back door the standing standing room this kid and he goes hi i'm not and i went how you doing <laughs> and he goes good and he goes i want to be on your skateboard team and i went i don't really have a skateboard team they went oh and I just had, and I go, well, let me see you skate. Cause he'd won the skateboard in the contest, surf contest, like give it away. Uh-huh. So I just saw him like, he just pushed and I went, okay, stop. Just come here. Like walking, <laughs> I was like, like okay, you are the entire skateboard team. Like, what do you want to do? Yeah. Right. And he's like 14 years old or something. Oh right? my God. And, and he just lived in the neighborhood or something? Yeah, I mean, I'd see, I'd see him skate. Like, okay, this is really weird. David Hackett had, you know, has always been a hardcore skater, good surfer and everything, but like always the most hardcore skater. You know, like him and Olson, Dwayne Peters, those guys, Tony Alva, right. like fucking down, down for life. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, those guys really are down for life, and so he was going to Hong Kong to film some movie or something, or Taiwan, and he needed these boards. So we had, and they were gonna strap rockets to the bottom of them, right? <laughs> and so at the time we were making these really advanced surfboards with Kevlar um, laminations. So I made him these Kevlar laminated boards and stuff, and he goes off to Hong Kong, and then the Nada should show up, you know, okay, fine. You know what I mean, so I got Nottis and I, and and then Nottis and I made I made made him a couple of boards right away, and he instantly broke them. <laughs> 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 no, I mean he's just even at fourteen years old, he has like really powerful. Powerful. Because he'd been yeah. like like a hockey player as a kid, right? Uh, he had and big, so, thick tree trunk so, legs. Yeah. So he was, you know, used to getting generating power out of his legs that other kids probably weren't. You know what I'm saying? Right. I got and I taught Stasek, and we went over to the graveyard in Santa Monica and did this photo shoot. And Craig sent it up to the magazine or something, right? But in the meantime, like, there, was, I got this guy named um, Brendan Murdoch, and Brendan Murdoch was in, like like an amazing skater unfortunately like this like his, his career was cut way short because he got in an accident on atv and shattered everything from his hip down to his ankle oh, right but he was like mark gonzalez's friend mark best friend right oh shit yeah and Mark Gonzalez almost rode for SMA. Like he rode for me for about five hours until we ran into Tony Alba. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But Mark Gonzalez was great. I mean, fuck, I love Mark. He's yeah, just, he's the best. You know, him, well, like him, him and like Brendan Chapman was like better skater than both Nottis and, and Mark. I mean, he was really something, right? Uh-huh. And, and he had like, he was already building ramps and shit and he had this thing in his backyard where 
it was a breezeway and there was an old building in Venice and there was like these like three there was like a fence three walls of a fence right and the fence was so old that it would like fucking bend and him and Mark would skate down this fucking breezeway at full speed and then like an ollie onto the wall of this fucking this like fence and it would just bend and then it would throw them back and they'd go to the other wall and throw them back they look like two guys inside a pinball machine <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mean yeah. really crazy and then all of a sudden i'm looking at this stuff going man this is this is something happening if people figure this out but meanwhile brad dorflin and 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 novak and and Obama and these guys you know george powell are like they're formulating stuff, you know, like they're like trying They're like, they're going, okay, like what's our next move? And meanwhile, the magazine, you know, like Mofo's sleeping, Mofo's like making $50 a month or something <laughs> and sleeping on the fucking table where you look at slides. Right? Yeah. Is that, is that I real? I mean, there was no, I mean, listen, man, when people say I did it for the love and not the money, <laughs> like, the, that early magazine was completely for the love and, and yeah. for no money. I mean, like Mofo never fucking even taken the didn't know shit about a camera. He's so fucking bitch. When he started, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I mean, they gave him a camera. I want to go shoot something. Here's some. Here's like three rolls of film. Right? Yeah. Like, come back with something and three rolls of film, and it better be able to publish it because we can't afford more than three rolls of film. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like what? Yeah, man. I talked to him about it and it was so funny because I was like, you know, early days, like, what are you doing with the F-stop and the shutter speed? And he's like, dude, I don't know. I just spun the dial and whatever. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. It was like literally like no one up there had a formal education in publishing. And I have two eighth grade diplomas. Yeah. I love, love photography and how to get shit made. I mean, it's like. It was like, oh, we'll just try this, and if it works, like, I mean, we got, and we got a budget of like, say, you know, a thousand dollars to make this magazine or something. <laughs> you know I mean, like, I mean, some, it was like something incredibly so, so, so little money. Right. I mean, realistically, the the most like technically advanced guy that was shooting stuff up there for was probably Stessic. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. For and then sure. like, I mean, you had Bryce Knights come in, and I'll bet you these guys all of a sudden, like you know we're we're doing stuff right but in the very early first yeah it was just like two, kt right yeah kevin you know like and uh Lofo and stuff and then the writing oh mama <laughs> jesus christ you know the, <laughs> the, trying to figure out how to write articles under different aliases you know what i mean i love that uh, shit yeah, I mean, it's like this one guy was, was you know, like Mofo was three different people or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, I, remember, I remember like a few years later, one of the, the funniest things Mofo ever did is like, he's supposed to do this interview with Tony Hawk, right? And at the time, like Tony was like, like not the personality is today in terms of i mean like being outgoing and so i never really knew tony very well okay i'll just i'll just say that like uh -huh. i never had that much you know interaction with him that was like stacy's guys or something right yeah but like he wrote this he did this interview with tony and it was like apparently it was like one of Tony's first interviews, and it was so bad that Mofo didn't want to run it, right? <laughs> and so he just made up an interview. 
No. Like he made he made he made the whole interview up. I operate on humor. It was talk and it was all about them being at a sushi bar and Tony eating an oyster and going, This sounds tastes like a loogie and, you know what I mean? <laughs> and and it came out and Tony was completely pissed off, right? Because uh, he did and 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 you know, I, I think Mo kept trying to explain to him, listen, and like, you know, I, if I ran the first one of these things, people would just be so disinterested in you, like it, it wouldn't be worthwhile. You know what I mean? That's I amazing. Mean, I'm, I'm a brilliant skater, but like at the time, like you know, yeah, in shelter, sheltered or whatever. You know, do I say sheltered or like you know, like not exposed to like a lot of stuff? You know what I mean? It's just you know, a, a brilliant kid athlete. It's amazing his development as a human being over the years has been really fantastic to watch. You know what I mean? For sure. But it's like, yeah. So I mean, there was stuff like that happening, and the chef, why am I hungry? Stuff. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, you know, it's like, it's like, really, you're putting okay, fine. Like, and meanwhile, like I'm, I'm running these ads and stuff, and it's like, and then. Like all of a sudden, like I, we get this call from, I think it was Novak or something. And he goes, Hey, we're having these meetings, like this manufacturer's meetings, and we want you to come down. It's going to be near LAX airport. It's near where you are. I went, Okay. So I go down there. And so it's me and Jim Muir and, and, um, and Dukeman from like Skull Skates, right? And, so the three of us come down there and then these are five so it's now eight people right you know eight or nine people in this room and we're like the little b team or something you know we're like the grassroots b team okay and then the, and then these guys are like you know the, the guys that are really putting money into stuff and we didn't have any money then between the three of us i don't think we had a pot to miss them, right mm -hmm. so um but we're but we're starting to make sales and everything you know the quality of the magazine was evolving you know like all of a sudden it went like from not such shitty newsprint to like better quality thing it's still black and white and then you know about a couple years after that it's this the, the first color thing well like when the color thing started to come out it's like this when not us really exploded You know, like, I mean, really the foundation of modern street skater were three guys, which was like not us, Tommy Guerrero and, and, and Mark Gonzalez. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, those, and then and, and Jesse Martinez, the, the, the real estate was the fourth person. Uh -huh. And I was going to give Hackett a model, and Hackett went, no, no, man, I'll just put that on hold, give this kid not us a model. This is, he, he was a Hackett was a very generous dude in terms of like his, I mean, he's really pretty outgoing, outspoken, like he's a big personality, right? Yeah. So you think, so you think he would have like a fucking like overblown ego. I want to be the friend. Like, no, he deferred to not us because he, Hackett could see that there was something happening that was going to be good for skateboarding. Like I, and I admire David Hackett for that. Yeah, you know what I mean? His, his love, his love and dedication to skateboarding, like with Steve Olson's, is like complete. You know what I'm saying? 
So then, so the joke is Hack is still waiting for a model. We go back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> we still go back and forth on this. I got some way put that board out. You know what I mean? Also got a model on SMA before Hackett. <laughs> <laughs> Hackett got a early Thrasher shirt though, right? Like that layback grind? Yeah. And, and strangely enough, at one point we all went into working for Jimmy's. Me, Olson, Hackett, like... Um, and I put together the skate team and the surf team for, for Jimmy's, right? Like, like around the promotions for the three biggest years they had. But I was also their first salesman they ever had on the road. And, and the weird thing is, Jimmy's clothing would have never taken off in the skateboard industry if it wasn't for Dwayne Peters, okay? Really? Which is, yeah. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm, try, I'm on the road trying to sell skateboards down in Orange County. And for some reason, I could never penetrate Orange County. I don't know what it was, but I just never, my sales never in Orange County worth worth a shit, right? Uh-huh. So, so I'm down there. I'm going through these surf shops and skate, you know, these shops and stuff. No, I'm not selling decks. I'm not, I got the first Jimmy's clothing sample case which was only one of them, which Ganser had, right? I'm walking and I finally go to this little skate shop in, in Newport called Ozone, right? And this lady named Carol owned it. And I'm walking in there and I got the, the sample case, I got some decks. And this, this is how bad the surf and skateboard industry was at the time. Hey, Dwayne Peters at the time was arguably the best skateboarder in the world, right? Uh-huh. And, he, and he had a model with like NHS, right? Yep. And they would only give him like like one board a month for <laughs> right to skate on. Okay. You can ask Dwayne, this is this true. Uh-huh. so so I'm in this thing and, and Dwayne comes in and he's just gonna buy a deck or something. So he was skating. Right? He's gonna buy a deck. Wow. He's the best skateboard in the world, he's gonna buy a deck. Uh-huh. Right. And I go, Well look here. Just, I have this, I go, here, man, just take a deck. So I gave Dwayne a deck, right? And he goes, what's in that case? And I'm just so depressed that I didn't even fucking open the case to show her, right? And, and I go, it's this truck. I go, it's this thing. And he goes, let's see him. And I went, what? And I go, okay, fine. You know, it's, it's Dwayne. I don't really know Dwayne. I just know who he is, right? Yeah. And, and I open the case up and I start showing him the Jimmy's trunks. And he keeps looking at him and looking at him. And Carol goes to him and goes, what do you think, Dwayne? And he goes, this is the bitchiness shit i ever seen. And Carol went, what? And I went, huh? You know, like, yeah. he goes, yeah. He goes, this is fucking cool. And so Carol goes like, well, if I carried these, would you buy a pair? And he goes, oh, hell yeah. Right. Yeah. So he gave me this like little order for Jimmy's, right? Which was the first order for Jimmy's shorts in Orange County, right? Wow. And so I go like, and I so I took one back and I gave Ganser the case back and they did this, you know, order or something. And then about three weeks later or something, all of a sudden I got these calls from these people that like didn't want these things, right? <laughs> And they're going, hey, you know, we like to maybe we reconsidered. So, like, I opened some stores in Orange County and stuff. And then I gave Ganser back the case or something and went back to making surfboards. Because, you know, I mean, I was working on surfboards this whole time still. Like, wasn't I wasn't like I quit doing one for another. 
and I was and I was making more boards and stuff. And finally, I got this Nautis model going, and um, you know, Kevin Ansel drew the thing. Was uh. actually what it was was like a the original thing. I have the painting in my garage. It's like a, a arm with a panther coming off of it. My name tag tattooed on the knuckles, even though I don't have that uh-huh. reality. So, but I love the panther stuff and things. So then they had Ansel come back and put like a, a triangle and stuff. And the original one had like skulls coming out of vertebrae and stuff. And we had to take that off because it looked like too satanic or something. I don't know exactly. But anyway, but they, but the boards started really taking off and, and not as started getting all this publicity. <laughs> magazine was like getting better quality like the, there was one thing that was interesting it was like like fausto and mofo and those guys were never and kt and eric and and these people were never satisfied with the quality of the magazine it's just like it seemed like all of a sudden it was accelerating like monthly or everything or bi-monthly or whatever but the quality was getting the quality of the magazine was improving you know, you had like, you became, it was, there was, because of their continual way of dealing with it, they were becoming more sophisticated on the processes, you know, like how we can make this process better. Like we could, it was like, it was an ongoing like situation, you know, like, like how can we make this better? You know what right. I mean? It was just straight passion. Like, there wasn't money. It wasn't about the money. It was about the passion, and that's what people gravitated towards it because they could they could feel that. Exactly. It was definitely the passion, and it was the desire to make something better. Right. I mean, like I don't. I mean, I don't think those first three years of that magazine or the four years, the thing probably didn't even make a dime. Right. You know. Yeah. I mean, like it was probably. I mean, I think was was happening. It was like, like, I don't know exactly how the funding was going on that and stuff, but it was like, it had to be like, like, are we gonna, are we gonna, you know, be able to pay the printer this month, or are we gonna be, you know, I mean, it was like, mm. like the the trucks were like, all of a sudden the, the trucks were like, were the, the indie trucks were doing really good, and and so there was money coming in from those the hard. The, the hardware money generated the ability for the magazine to exist. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like it was, it wasn't this magazine itself wasn't existing 
because of it was doing well. The magazine was existing because people were investing in it, and you know, with hard dollars. Okay. You know, they, I mean, this is probably boring for a kid, like figuring out a money stream. You better leave this shit in here. Don't be telling this is negative or not. This is life. But in the real life, there has to be a money stream for anything to succeed. And I mean, yeah. you can't have pro skaters without product. Right. right. You can't have pro skaters without ability to. Nowadays, I mean, that's much easier. You can just like, you can do blogs. You can do all this other stuff. You can get your, if you're a guy who wants to be a pro skater, you can get your message out, or if you want to be picked up, you can get the ability to, to, you know, broadcast your abilities on a much larger platform. You just influenced somebody. Back then, it was man, it was word of mouth. You know, this guy's good or not good, or you know, what I mean, and it was still like the. If you really looked at it, the amount of guys, even like four or five years into it, who were really pro level skaters so it was probably maybe like a hundred guys in the world right you know? and i included europe and south america and shit okay. you know what i mean you know there were guys starting to come out of like states like kansas and stuff but you know the east coast like you know and then guys like reggie barnes shout out who was a great you know freestyle skater started a business a distribution business right and then built up from the ground up and it was like um carol over smooth hill and everything all those guys the guy just passed away that was with smooth hill for years mm. and, um he you know those like smooth hill is my second distributor you know this guy um george abdul Muhammad was my first like distributor here in california then and then smooth hill carol and all those people came in and they gave me uh, a platform in Northern California. Like I always did better. And if you look at the state of California, everything from LA North, I did much better than like from LA South. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And yeah. That's because like, you know, the connection I had with Fausto and Eric and Stesic and, and Lofo and everything. Uh-huh. And KT and KT and, and um, you know, like, like before it was strange, like, like sometimes I take these trips up North and, I actually would stay over with like Fausto and, and his wife at the place because I'd be on the road and have no money, right? So they'd like put me up for the night or something. Oh, you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, Gwen's a nice woman, man. But yeah. really nice woman, you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. And and she was I mean at that time she was working for the city of San Francisco for the mayor's office or something. So she yeah. you know what I mean she she's helping us I mean if you look at it, she was actually a, a underlying support system for for like the whole getting the magazine out on the on Hunter's Point and being able to like you know like help fund their existence, right? And then God, Eric Swenson, what a trip! <laughs> I mean, really, did you, did you ever know Eric at all? Yeah, I totally. Mean, Jesus, talk about politically incorrect. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I always trip on some of these dudes, like, what if they were alive still during this time, like, how crazy it would be. Oh, they'd be canceled. People would try and cancel them. They wouldn't care. I mean, that's the other thing, you know, this is not a touchy-feely, like, cuddly world to be in. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. You better, you better grow a pretty thick skin. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Like, the interesting thing about 
the one thing I love about skateboarding and surfing is like the two elements that don't care. The ocean don't care and the concrete don't care. Right. It's like you're going to get hurt some way you're going to get hurt you're going to, then you're going to decide you're going to either keep doing this or you're not going to do it yeah yeah and, and and the more and the more you do it the more you're going to get hurt right but the satisfaction level is going to grow also because every time you don't get hurt then like it's a next step up the ladder you know i mean yeah you know like i snapped my right ankle completely in half skateboarding and had to reset it myself and climb over an eight foot chain like fence in order and to in order to get to a doctor uh, i mean like when you walk your, your foot in a sideways it freaks you out right <laughs> i got I, I got a question going back what that first trip that you went up to san francisco um you said those boards weren't drilled did they have uh graphics yeah, I just I painted them all. I just hand painted everything. Like, was there an established like logo yet, or not yet? Yeah, I had it. I had a, I stuck a, stuck a decal on it. Was they it weren't that, even, they weren't they weren't screened. Was it that classic uh, plain one that you you know the? Yeah, what, that's the one. That that was the first logo ever. Yeah, there was that one, and there's a circle, a three circle with like these wings coming off the side. So there was two actual original graphics like the the plane and then the the other one was the guy kind of like a ufo type of thing where it was like it was just a circle like the three circles like this on the plane like like it's a it's a plane that never existed it's a combination of like a bunch of different stuff like back then the like the international symbol for ufo were three circles right ah. so it's like basically it's like it's this ufo seaplane that like you know, came from someplace and is still going someplace else. Okay. I'll have to look that I don't remember that one. I'll have to look that one up. So anyway, we just slapped the other side of this guy this friend of mine, Marty Sugarman was making at the time was making like decals in the decal selling business. So he made so I made all these decals with him and then this we had we just slapped the decals on. We didn't do screening. And then when I first started screening actually the first model I ever had before the company stopped working was this guy, Jack Waterman. His boards were screened, actually, right? And then we went from that to unscreening because of the decals, you know what I mean, later. Right. But, but it's like but the Jack Waterman boards were all screened and no Jack's signature on them in the plane. But like I said, when the industry closed down, I just started making stuff and now natural regression. Okay. But Jack, but Jack Waterman was like an amazing vert skater. He won the endless wave contest in Oxnard. Wow. Um, and you know, can he beat everybody? Tony Alva, everyone. I was in that contest. He beat them. Yeah. Right. And it was like I, I had helped put that thing together with this guy Ed Olson, who owned the Concrete Waves. It was like ten thousand dollars first prize, which was a huge amount of money back then. Uh huh. I mean, huge amount of money, but it's like, <laughs> you know, Amir almost killed himself in that contest, like knocking himself out. Oh, damn. Um, but yeah, it's like, but yeah, that trip, that first trip up north was really insane. You know what I mean? Because I didn't know what's going to happen. I just went, I went basically to take a road trip and see what, what was going on. You know All what right. I mean? Do you think like back then, 
were surfers looking at skateboards kind of like we look at rollerblades or were they looking at more like accepting as like, oh, this could be cool? I no, man. Surfers never looked at fucking skateboards like rollerblades. Rollerblades were just the most geek shit ever. Everybody, everybody I knew basically looked at rollerblades as some geek situation. <laughs> you know, there are certain things in life that are cool and uncool. Right. And, and, and you can't you can't manufacture that hipness level or whatever. It's like you either it has an authenticity thing or not. And it's like, you know, you just, it's like they were just not, <laughs> they weren't even in the picture. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. They just would look at you like you're just really just a clown. Right. They didn't say they hated the people. They just had no, no interest in them. The, these guys would walk in the door with a pair of rollerblades, you know, like, yeah, like, like, bearings are stuck. <laughs> what was interesting is, like, at one point, the one of the biggest retailers for skateboards actually were bike shops. They were really had whole sections of just skateboards in their, in their stores, too, uh-huh. because it was because it made sense, you know what I mean? So, you had like really basically, you know, surf shops and bike shops, you know somehow like we're we're prime movers right and they carry the magazines too you know what i mean like they would huh. carry they would carry like thrasher and stuff and you know what i mean because it was like you know like it was just i mean how many bikes can you sell in one week back then yeah I mean, now you can sell everything you can make right but, right but but back then it was kind of like it's kind of weird it's like you look at things are now, and you have all these people that are mountain bike people and and fixed gear people and stuff, right? But it's like back then, like bikes and skateboards would still look like in some ways like as the thing of children. You know what I mean? Like they something you put away after childhood or something. I mean, not for everybody, but for yeah, you know, but for a huge amount of population. Or, or bikes were something people rode in Europe or something because they weren't smart enough to own cars or whatever. <laughs> I don't know how they, how they approached that or something. But guys who surfed and stuff, like, you know, like the like the longboard skateboard was pretty much a good thing because if you lived, like, say, like a couple of miles from the beach and you didn't have a car and you're, like, 14 or 15 years old or something, you could skate down to the beach. Right, uh-huh. with your board and your wetsuit on already and go surfing and skate home or whatever. Right. You know, or you could bike down to the beach. You live farther away, you could, you know, you could bike down to the beach with your surfboard and, and uh, you know, go home. Right. right. You know, so, I mean, some guys had rigs with fucking motorcycles with their skateboards, which to me was always like an insane, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, like it's different when you're going like 45 miles an hour and you got the surfboard on the side, fucking bouncing back and forth, like yeah. creating some kind of vibration in your in your in the motorcycle. You know what I mean? But yeah, it was like yeah, that was like that was one of the areas that people don't understand that the bike industry really helped the skateboard industry at Help one point. push it, huh? What was the what was the spike like for? Uh, the Santa Cruz video when Nodis's part came out, it had to have gone through the roof. Well, it was like, like it was interesting with Santa Cruz. It was a business decision. Like they, 
they didn't have anybody like Nottis in their pipeline. Right. I mean, they just they didn't have anything like that. And so they were going to poach Nottis and go from there. And Nottis went, no, like, I'll, like I go, Skip goes with me. Uh, we're, we're like a package. Ah. And so they reluctantly took me with them, right? And then I had like a pretty, got sometimes a really good relationship with them. And sometimes like um, a real conflict with them. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? But I mean, that's just the way stuff works. But they they never deviated from, from their agreement. They were always like super honest about that. You know what I mean? Our, our, the first five years I was with them it was a handshake agreement. They never deviated from it. You know, they, they fulfilled every part of that, oh, okay. that hand, handshake thing. Right. Which is like people a day will never do handshake deals because fundamentally they're pretty much liars. Yeah. You know, like and uh you know, the moral compass has been moved off of the dime. Uh-huh. And then the next couple of years we had, we had we had to for legal reasons we had to have a contract. Right. So we did and then then, it, and then the contract ended and I still kept making skateboards and went on my way and they did and then we came back together again. And, you know, it's been like, it's been, you know, really good. You know, we're like, like we're both, you know, we're all adults in the room. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. Yeah. When I, when that was all going down, I was working at a skate shop and I remember Nodis's boards, like, you know, it, it felt like they were mass produced, but then there was like this other stuff that like was way harder to get that we would get one of once in a while it'd be like the yellow board with the pattern with the little it had a little cut in the shape and then i think there was a hand-drawn not as face board there was like some boards that it was like these are like at the time it felt like it was a collector's item one of the things that happened with a downturn of the industry like 10 years ago right was that like like was my partner tony converse and i like went okay how can we maintain our individuality and be able to do stuff? And we came up with a a completely customized hand-stained skateboard, right? And we figured out a method how to paint with stain. And Uh, so every board would, like, we go in and do, like, 200 at a time or something, you know, like, spend a day doing 200 decks or something, right? Hand-stained, everyone individual. And then we got like better at it and figured out like, you know, we make all our own colors. Like we, we mix all our own colors and disperse, you know, like yeah. ways to disperse them and stuff, which we still do today, actually. It's so cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, we have this new run of Bennett's coming out, right. And stuff. And every one of those Bennett's were like, hand we did like Bennett and I and Tony Palmer's painted like, it's like, I think like 250 minutes or something, right. right? And every one of them is different, but they're screened on top of the, the paint. So you're going to get a board that's like the individually, each one's for you, right? Yeah. And that and that's what's really cool. It's like maintain the, you know, the integrity of like SMA. 
Right. For for like forty one years. Right. I mean, it's like think about this. It's like like me personally. Um, if you look at all the legacy companies that that the person who started it still owns it and there was never a break where somebody else owned it and then they had to buy it back or something or whatever there's only like um me and um nhs and powell right and even dogtown was sold at one point a couple of times right mm-hmm. so it's like you know what i mean like they they like you know, like they, Muir got it back, but at one point it was sold. You know, like I said, this guy's butt and Jeff owned it originally after they took it from Jim and, and, and Wes. And then somehow they got back, but some guys, some other company took it over right. and bought it or something. And then they had to get the money back from them, get it back from them somehow, right? You know, NHS has always been, you know, Santa Cruz skateboards and Powell's always been Powell. Like originally, Powell wasn't just wasn't Powell Peralta. It was just Powell by himself. Yeah. So George George Powell has maintained ownership of that company all the way through, with or without Stacy. You know, what I mean, Stacy came back after he left. You know, after they split up, he came back and was reengaged with the company, I guess, on an ownership level or something again. But SMA, I've owned it all the way through. You know, completely owned it all the way through. Right. 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 You know what I mean? So. What about vision? I guess vision. Vision really kind of came after a bit. Dorfman was like a little later. doing. He, well, he the part he was doing early on was like hardware. Ah. Uh, right. Okay. Wasn't necessarily decks. You know what I mean? It seems weird to me. Like it kind of feels like a faux pas what they're doing over there now is like they're remaking Mark Gonzalez boards without his name on it. And then same with Gator and like all these things. It's like, I don't know. It feels really weird. Well, that, you know, like, I don't know how, the, how they do that exactly. Like, like the thing was like the sample going back and doing these boards with NHS for the, um, the team guys that are not going to, that the NHS was going to run stuff with, like I have to like talk to those people and actually make sure they want to do it. And if they do it, right. then we want we want to pay them. Yeah, right. We don't want to just make something. I mean, like what was really cool was like Thiebo and those guys at Deluxe came to me and they wanted to do this board for Grasso, which was uh, the Julian Stranger Lowrider board, right? Ah, uh, sick. And, or the one of those boards or hypodermic like this one was. Yeah, but with they, the asked, needle they one. called me up and they asked me if I had a problem with doing that. I went, no, just as long as Julian's good with it and with NHS is good with it, we're happy. I'm. I don't need to get a dime out of it. I've just been happy to, like, to do it for Grosso because I think it'd be cool for him to so cool. And I and I appreciate him being interested in in what we did. Right. Yeah. You know I mean? So I had no problem with that happening. I mean, it's sad that he passed away. You know what I mean? Super sad. He was, he was an interesting dude. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's like, but then I lost. I mean, look at man. Jay Adams died. Shogo died. Bobby Beniak died. Fuck. This guy, an amazing guy named Chris Cahill, like passed away. Who was on the original Zephyr team? Was an amazing artist. I mean, he's one of the guys that people 
don't really know a lot about, but it was very was very talented, an excellent skater and surfer, and kneeboarder and shaper and artist and designer. I mean, you know, worked with him for a long time. You know, what I mean, you know, like I said, so it's like yeah, we've all been losing a lot of people lately. It's insane. It, it, it's like it's trippy how like they just passed. You know, what I mean. Yeah. And it's like, I, but I'm like, I'm like an example. I just talked to Wenzel Rommel yesterday, right, oh, on shit. the phone. Uh-huh. Like he's like he's opening a skate shop back east, ah. right, which is pretty cool. You know, I mean, he's gonna do. He's doing his. He's doing his like. He's gonna race this year. Sixty years old. He's gonna do oh, one last man. season of slalom racing and hang it up. For, you know, competitively. Okay. Which is which is pretty interesting if you're, if you're slalom racing at sixty, you're still pretty fucking hardcore. <laughs> Fuck yeah. God damn. Yeah, yeah, I mean uh, so, you know, that type of thing. I I did I was wondering, could you talk a little bit about that um jail being the guard? Like how how was that whole process? What's that? When you were the guard in the Santa Cruz video, the jail process you know, the jail cell? Uh huh. Was that a real jail? Yeah, it was in downtown Los Angeles. So it was like an actual real jail that they weren't using anymore. And the, and the, the um, black guy in there who was with Jason Jesse was one of my dearest friends, this guy, Michael West, a.k.a. Mojo Blue, a really good surfer and um, an artist. And he had picked me up that morning to go do that do that thing. And, and I had been like up working all night doing stuff. And... So I went down there and I forgot to put socks on. So if you look at the <laughs> funny thing in that video, it's like I'm in the trailer guard with no socks. Oh, damn. Right. Uh, that's such a classic video. But Jason Jesse is so funny. Like I like to fall on my face. I like to hurt myself. <clears throat> Hi. You know, I was looking at him and he had this one, one arm tattooed all over, like his right arm and his left arm was bare. And I go, how come, like... The whole right arm's tattooed and the left arm's not. And he goes, well, I like to drive with my uh, um, arm out the window. I don't want the police, like, pulling me over because of the tattoos. <laughs> and I went, what happens when you go to Australia and you have to drive on the other side of the road? <laughs> and he just looked at me like, uh, uh, this, like, duh, look like, what? Wait, I was just kidding. <clears throat> Another first impression with Jason Lee Jesse. When I met Skip Engelbaum, Skipper, uh, he called me Meatball. That was the first time I met him. And that was kind of funny. I was like, Meatball. Hey, Meatball, knock it off. You got a burger. And then we hung out uh, a long time. That day seemed like a long time. He didn't give me this board, but Meekster did. It was from Skip. SMA. Also, I went to a meeting in Bio Bob's house, and he uh, was there, Novak was there, and the whole team was there, whatever, 1987 or something. And Skipper brought up how, if you didn't want to be a pro skateboarder, you could always be a ditch digger. And I was like, you could be digging ditches or you could be pro skateboarders, guys. What do you want to do? And that was like, out of all the stuff that was spoken that day, like the only thing I kept was what Skip said. I love Skip. He's great. Do you remember him saying something about your one-arm tattoos? Heard about people getting pulled over all the time for tattoos on their arms, you know? Because in the 80s and stuff, it was a different world. And uh, 
I go, well, I only got him on my right arm, so when I'm driving with my arm out the window, I don't get fucked with. And now he loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still to this day, if I'm driving, you can't see tattoos on my left arm. Because you don't need any extra, extra shit, especially if you skateboard your whole life. So all you do is get shit. It was the same thing with Jay Adams when he got the tattoo of the zipper on his head. I'm like, no left. So Jay, I'm like, question, because what's that? And he goes, I go, zipper open or closed? <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? He just couldn't answer. He didn't, it was like, <laughs> it, just, it just stopped him cold, you know what I mean? And Jay was funny. Jay was so mischievous. Yeah. God. He just was like, like one time, I had when I had the 49 Cadillac and it has a wind wing on it, right? Yeah. And it was a tiny crack, like on the wind wing. It's just a tiny crack, but worked fine still, right? It was a tiny crack where the thing was. And I got Jay in the front seat. We're going to Malibu to go surfing. And he starts picking on this thing. Like he's just like, like his fingernail. Like he, he was like, he was just like, he couldn't concentrate on stuff for more than 10 minutes, right? <laughs> and I went, Jay, don't do that, okay? Like, you're going to break up. I said, okay. I'm driving, and I look over. It's picking on it. I go, Jay, don't do that. You're going to break up. I said, okay. I look over. Now the crack is going all the way up. The fucking wind's good thing. I'm going, Jay, don't do that. He goes, I, and all of a sudden, I, and I look over that because I gotta watch the road. I look over again. I saw my eyes pick up. All of a sudden, all the glass falls out of this thing. <laughs> he goes, "I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that." I just <laughs> like, I went. I go, "How are we gonna lock the car now?" Right? People are gonna break in the car and steal something. And he just went, "Oh, this is, you know what I mean?" Yeah. And then, and then. Uh, one time I was, we're all at, at one point we're all in Hawaii together. Me, Tony, Jay, Wenzel, um, Stesic, um, like we're all living in Hawaii, right? On the North Shore. I was working out of this factory in place called Kahuku called Sticky Fingers. And I come driving back to the sunset and pull into the parking lot of Sunset Beach and it looks pretty good. And Jay's standing there with his bicycle and his surfboard. I go, how's it surfing? He goes, really good. Like, we should go out. And I went, okay. <laughs> I'm, not really, I'm not really kind of paying attention, right? I, I go, so it's good. He goes, yeah, it's really good. So, you know, I'm in trunks already. Just pulled the board out. Of the, the, I had a 64 Rambler. I just pulled the board off, off from the top of the Rambler. And um, we jumped in the rip in here. I go out. And all of a sudden, I realized there's kind of like no one in the water, right? <laughs> yep. And now we're outside, the rip's taking us all the way out, and we're finally in a position, and these sets start coming. There's this thing called step laddering, where the waves get bigger, every consecutive wave is getting bigger than the last one, right? And there's like not really any kind of lulls. And I go, Jay, man, like, how long were you looking at a surfboard? Because I just got there when you did. <laughs> I go, I fly before you. I'm like, fuck, man. I go, Jay, we're getting the we're getting in a step ladder situation. We gotta go right in, right? We're gonna get trapped out here on the and the North Shore's closing out, awesome. and and so I I go, it's okay. So I fucking sway because I take off on it, go to the bottom, turn, kind of cut back, grab the rail, light, grab, jump on, lay down the board. The wave flows behind me. And, pushes me like 25 yards towards the beach. I bounce across this thing, got all the way to the sand. I look up, no Jay, right? Uh. 
and um, I go, fuck, and all of a sudden he's on, he had this little yellow surfboard, he's way outside, and all of a sudden he takes off on this bomb, right? And instead of just taking off, turning, and doing the thing straight up, no, no, he's riding the thing, right? I mean, it's like, I'm going, fuck, he ain't shit, it's like, we, it's over, right? <laughs> anyway, he rides this thing, he rides it all the way to the sand and turns off, and I go, and he goes, that was fucking so much fun. I went, are you kidding? We almost died. <laughs> fuck. He was so gnarly. If if you got to put four dudes together for R- Mount Rushmore of skateboarding, Jay Adams. Yeah, like you have to. It have. It's like that's really a hard one because it's like, what era are you talking about? Like just through like, life, it, it, like it, overall. I mean, I mean, I mean, like we got like look at you got. You can't discount Christian Asoy, one of the greatest skateboarders ever. Okay. Yeah, you know, like just just for like fluid style and inventiveness, and you know, just a beautiful guy to watch. You got Eric Dressen, who's unbelievable, right? Uh-huh. You know, you got David Hackett, you got Olson, you got you know Dwayne Peters, right? Right. You have you have, like I said, you got you got Nadas, Tommy. And Mark Gonzalez and Jeffrey Martinez, right? <laughs> yeah. Jesus, man. I mean, you have Stacy. Stacy was a beautiful skater. People don't know how good he skated. They always say he couldn't skate first. Stacy skated bird as good as anybody at the time. I mean, even better, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right? You could look at Mike McGill, like, who's the guy who's sort of always lost in the shuffle. You know what I mean? He's a great skater. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You could look at Lucero. I mean, there's one guy that people never talk about is Gary Scott Davis. That guy was like, you know, like a really just trippy out there dude, right? I mean, I mean, there's 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 guys in Australia like Andrew Curry and and and, and those guys down there who who like. I mean, Andrew Curry is one of the best all around skateboarders I ever seen. He's amazing, right? You know what I mean, I mean, he that guy if he had been born in America here, he would have been like a god. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Because he was that good. You know, you have Dave LaRue and, and Mike Conroy, who are just like unbelievable vert skaters, you know what I mean? Right. So, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of guys, so like, to, to try and pick out four, for me, would be impossible, you know what I mean? Okay. Like, I, like, I mean, I couldn't do it. It's like, you know, like, you, it's like you look at the era, right? I mean, there's like, the two guys out of Brazil, Omar and Oscar, which are twin brothers, and they were set 10-time Brazilian champions. Oh. Right, they were great. I mean, like, but Harry Jumanji out of Brazil was a great, you know, like Bob yep. Burnside. I mean, Burn Burnquist, Burnquist, excuse me. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, right? I mean, those, these are all guys, you know, they got, they got the, um, those brothers from Australia. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, uh, but I mean, those, but those guys were great skaters, right? You had Lee Ralph out Papas. of like New Zealand, who was just a madman. Lee Ralph's the best. Right. Yeah, you know I mean, I love Lee. And then you can look at Rodney Mullen and 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 and, and Reggie Barnes and Steve Rocco. You know, what I mean, and and uh, the guy in Canada is the freestyle guy too. Those guys were all interesting skaters. I mean, freestyle was never something that interested people, but it was like a lot of a lot of the roots of street skating came out of freestyle skating you know i mean sure. just a, just a freestyle was like too mechanical for people it's too like yeah it's too contrived you know what i'm saying i guess it's like although it's not contrived but it means contrived right yeah kind of choreographed 
And then if you look at like the girl skaters, right, like like Clara Beth Burnside's and, and like Peggy Peggy Oki and and like Kim Sespies and all these all those girls. I mean, the girls get lost in the shuffle, but man, like you know, a lot of girl skaters. There's I had a girl that skated for me in the '80s called Karen Zapata, who's a vert skater. She was really good. Oh yeah, uh huh. You know what I mean. Was that a huge deal when uh, Patty McGee was on the life? Yeah, man, it was a big one. Patty McGee's like, you know, was like groundbreaker. But then there was like, there was like Wendy Bear too. Danny Bear's, you know, like if you go back to the fucking Hiltons and, uh, and Danny Bear and and um, Torger Johnson and, and Woody Woodward. I mean, like fucking Woody Woodward. Come on, it's like <laughs> him and uh, him and Squeak Blank were just like trippy little kids that, that, that could do stuff you know it's like so yeah. so many people that were so great that pushed everything forward or something you know what i mean right you can't you can't discount those people no. you know what i mean yeah. you know i was just for i was just fortunate that like i kind of knew these people and would and you know had like those lifelong relationships with them you know what i'm saying sure you know and it's like like nowadays i mean like for example i've been at harada's so one of these guys that slipped through the cracks because he was in Japan a bunch, you know what I mean, off and on during the during the height of certain things. But Bennett Harada is an amazingly great skater. Uh-huh. He still kills it, you know, or Eddie Havina. Right. Uh, Steve Badillo. I mean. I love it. I love the history so much. You can look at Kendall and Roscoff, you know what I mean? Like Neil Blender is so important. Yeah, like Neil Blender is example, another guy, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. What was a what was a bummer for Neil? Okay, when he was with Gordon Smith, was like they didn't make enough of his decks. Like I know that from when I was a Watson, they didn't like they kept a cap on the amount of decks of his they'd make, even though the demand was greater. Oh man! Right, and it, which was like when I found that out, I went, "Why was that?" And they went, "We don't know." I mean, I always have my suspicions about, like, sometimes some of these guys that run these companies don't want people to do as good as they possibly can. You know what I'm saying? Damn it. That's like, you want to keep them in a certain box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes people, like, don't understand, like, when, like, the reason you have a job at one of these companies is because these guys out there skating are selling product for you. And you should just roll with it and be happy that, like, you're making a good living because they're making a good living. Yeah, absolutely. And we're all part of a team. Like, ev- all everyone's important, up from the janitor to the owner. Yes, absolutely. As an individual pastime, the whole, whole the people behind it, like, are collective minds. You know, like, you have to have a collective group of people behind you in order to give you, they give you the luxury of being able to, like, succeed. Yeah. I've had, like, a lot of these young guys who skated for me over the years that are like now other companies, like, you know, like with other companies because SMA wasn't big enough to support. Like Liz, like Lizzie Armanto, you know, we supported her for years. Oh, yeah, she's local. She probably lives, grew up right by where you're at. Yeah, I mean, it's like she, she's like, she was like the best girl skater in the world at one point. You yeah, know what I, mean? I love Lizzie. And, 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 and she's, you know, I'm happy, I mean, I'm really happy for her. She was always really nice person to deal with, you know what I mean? You know, sure. some of these kids like like um, that are doing really good nowadays on the pro that are pros. They all, if you look at their history, they all rode for SMA. 
Yeah, I mean, we started them all out. You know, we gave them boards. We supported them for years until, like, a bigger company came along and did the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I was like, like with Joel Tudor, the pro surfer, I was like his first sponsor for anything. And we're still really good friends. I mean, I love the guy. I mean, his... He's been able to build an entire career, a successful career in surfboarding through sponsorships, and he's just opening his own glassing factory now in San Diego. How cool! You know, yeah, it's vision. It's like it's like people think that you shouldn't be happy for other people's success, but I'm always happy when a, like a people I've dealt with over the years have gone forward and maintained the momentum and been able to like get. Uh, life out of that, you know what I mean, and, get, and be successful. Like the, the greatest reward you can ever have is seeing somebody you help along the way succeed. Yeah, exactly. Now I feel the same way. Hey, listen, I know I've kept you a long time. I intentionally did not talk to you about the Zephyr stuff and the Z Boys. It's been covered plenty, and uh, if people want to know about it, they can find that out there. Um, w- one thing though, I do have to ask you is what's closer to the truth dogtown and z-boys lords of dogtown or neither well i'll just play it this way okay you look at a mountain right uh-huh. and, you, and you have like 12 people surrounding a mountain and you tell them i want you to climb to the top and when you get to the top i want you to tell me what your experience was getting to the top of the mountain and you're going to have 12 different opinions of that ma- same mountain uh-huh. that's kind of how stuff is I mean it's like like I enjoyed everything of those experiences we've lived both I didn't well okay I didn't enjoy making the motion picture as much as the doc working on the documentary but I enjoyed the relationships that I got out of that thing right like like with Heath Ledger it was like one of the fucking greatest people I ever met Right. And, and along with like Naomi Watts and Michelle Williams, were all like just great people. The producer of that movie, John Linson, I'm still friends with, and we talk at least a couple of three times a year. Huh. Right? How did Heath do? In your opinion, when you were watching it, were you cringing or were you like, "Oh, you made me look good," or like, what was your thoughts? Well, obviously, it's a movie, right? So you just kind of divorce yourself from. I mean, like. A lot of the facts and a lot of the things in there were actually happened that were genuine. Okay, uh-huh. like I'd say seventy percent was real. Okay, the other part's Hollywood, like gloss. Yeah, it's a movie. But I, like like Emil Hirsch really nailed being Jay Adams. Like like all the emotional stuff and all the things. Like Emil Hirsch as an actor was serious as a heart attack. He really put in the work. Like, I spent a lot of time with Heath. He was, like, so great to my wife, Martha, and I. And Naomi Watts was so great to us. You know, Heath was, like, just a... a, Heath was the real deal. He could surf and he could skate. Okay? Right. That's what he grew up doing. And so it was, like, for, for him, it was, like like a project they just wanted to do. He came to them and wanted to be me. Damn, that's so cool. So that was the full... The movie was never intended to be about me in any way. That was interesting. It was like it was supposed to be about the three kids, mainly, which which was right. 
and correct it should have been about them right not you know me per se uh-huh. I kind of I kind of being a bigger character because somebody else didn't want to deal with them and so they had to reimagine certain things right uh-huh. that's just what it is you know it's Hollywood right so here's fundamentally the truth whether you want to deal with Hollywood or not they're going to make the movie right end the story so you can either try and get as much of the correct stuff in as possible you're making a deal basically with the devil right so you better try and get the best deal out of the devil possible (laughs) yeah right and like yeah you're gonna have to do some work but in the long run it'll help you not complain when you see the product well, the best the best thing was is that they got basically everybody on the team in the movie. They got paid. Everybody, every the one thing is that everybody got paid, right for yeah. their life right for their life rights. Okay. Oh. And they like like my my manager negotiated the situation <clears throat> where everybody got a part in the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't sign off unless that was part of the deal. That's pretty sick. I think it was pretty nice. It was like a, it was like we got to have the Zephyr reunion that we never got to have before. Right. So that part, like I said, was for me. You know, like I hadn't seen Beniak in years. I hadn't seen you know, like like you know, certain people for a long time. Right. So all of a sudden, we're all there in this place, and it was pretty pretty fun. Damn. Yeah, I bet. I bet it was pretty sweet. I mean, like you said, it is a movie. It's dramatized. You know what you're getting into going into it. You're right. gonna you're gonna have problems with it for sure because it's it's gonna like, get like, dramatized. Like this, like this interview we're doing, right? Huh? There are gonna be people that look at it who are around, and they're gonna have a different opinions of stuff that was happening at that time, and. That will be correct also because that's their experience. Right. You, you can't say that wasn't your experience because you're not that person. Right. So you I have to accept the fact that like there are other people who are going to have other opinions and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong because from their point of view, they're 100% right because that's them. Okay, and mm-hmm. that's how we'll, and that's how we'll leave it. Okay, fuck, dude, much appreciative of this whole opportunity. I'm really stoked that we finally we've been texting back and forth a little, our schedules, all this, and I'm glad it worked out finally. Yeah, no, it's I'm fine. It's like, and, and I'm like I said, I was happy to be able to help and like, like you know. Do you a, have a song that we could throw on um, at the end of this that you'd like to play to end the thing? Yeah, man. Um, that's interesting. Skip, we love you. Maybe you could put on Lou Reed's Rock and Roll Animal. Okay, I like that. Let's do that one. Thank you, Skip. Because the guitar intro and everything on like that is so great. Fuck yeah. Lou Reed rules. Appreciate Okay. Bye.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.